People told me I couldn't do a lot of things. I feel like I'm the chosen one. Look at this. We created this. This didn't exist before we were here. All we are is proud and passionate. I love Toronto. I love this team. And we're going to the, the end. Let's go. Nothing matters but winning. Welcome back to episode 87 of Rapsville Weekly. I'm your co-host, Gabriel Cellio, alongside... Adam Casucci. And today we're going to be discussing the second round of the NBA playoffs. Um, before we get into any of that, as always, please like and subscribe. Check us out on Instagram at Rapsville for NBA news and Raptors content. And please leave some comments down below. Um, Adam, we look back to two episodes ago. Um, you remember the thumbnail as well as I do. Uh, yep. There was a man on the left there, Kevin Durant, mm-hmm. who I predicted would be in the finals. Yeah, that uh, that didn't go too well for the, the Brooklyn Nets there in that series. Yeah, so he's been booted in Game 7. Uh, we'll get to that. And then the man on the right, who you predicted to uh, probably win the NBA Finals, win the championship, it's a possibility they can win, but the problem is we don't know if that guy will be there. Yeah, because, because he has suffered a knee injury, possibly ACL, and uh, the Clippers, we didn't even know if they were going to come out with the series, but they managed to do it. Um, so let's go series by series here and talk about where we are at. So let's start, I guess, east, because um, we're on the train. Let's go Brooklyn-Milwaukee, okay? So this series, Brooklyn started up to nothing. That was around the time I made my prediction. Hey, Brooklyn's the stack team. They're ready up 2-0. I think they're going to win everything. I say they win. What happens, the whole team died. Uh, Harden injured. Kyrie Irving injured. Uh, and they proceeded to lose a lot of the games that were remaining. Uh, luckily, they were able to make it to a Game 7. And then in that Game 7, uh, they made it to OT. Kevin Durant was playing phenomenal. He had like 48 points going into overtime, uh, really putting the team on his back, made a clutch bucket with like a second to go. And it was kind of him versus Giannis. And then in OT, he did not make a bucket. Uh, Joe Harris missed some big shots, Harden missed some big shots, and even Milwaukee missed a ton of shots. And Milwaukee ended up closing it out, winning the series, and ending uh, one super team for the year. Right? So what happened in this series, Adam? Uh, Obviously, the injuries were a huge factor. Uh, I think personally, if they were healthy, everybody, they had Harden, they had Kyrie, I think they would have closed it in maybe five. Uh, What do you think? Yeah, uh, looking at this series with the Brooklyn Nets, like you mentioned, the injuries were a big factor there. Um, James Harden's injury, I thought, was was extremely uh, valuable to the Brooklyn Nets, and it really hurt them, I thought, because they they were saying that on the broadcast at TNT, they were saying that James Harden, since his injury, uh, he hasn't been that explosive. He can't be. He's not being able to blow by guys like he usually does, and then that that creates so much dif- difficulty for the defense. And, uh, and obviously without him doing that in game seven, five for 17, you can see the percussions of that. Then you got Kevin Durant playing the game of his life, 48 points, but then struggles in OT, which is, I get it. You're playing 53 minutes and you're exhausted. And, uh, and that was the outcome. There was no help. Griffin had a, had a decent night, 17 points. Joe Harris forgot how to shoot at the biggest game of his life. And, uh, Steve Nash is also to blame here, I feel. Uh, for now rotating his players, uh, only 18 bench minutes in total. Jeff Green with 12 and Landry Shaman with 6. And both didn't, didn't score a point. So when you're not rotating, rotating your players and you're relying heavily on your starters and they're not performing, 
you're going to have some issues. And like they did, they lost the game. Middleton came up big in the fourth quarter. Holiday was horrible all night and then stepped up big when it mattered. And Giannis Antetokounmpo really locked in and was solid all game long. And these were the guys that really helped Milwaukee clinch the series. Yeah, so you talk Kyrie Irving, the injuries in general obviously are bad. And I think Kyrie Irving being gone was a huge problem because he takes a lot of pressure off of Kevin Durant. And Harding coming back, he just wasn't in good shape, good form. He couldn't shoot the ball well. He wasn't explosive. And he wasn't basically the player he was supposed to be out there. So that's a given. I think a huge problem, though, was Joe Harris not being able to shoot this series uh, whatsoever. I think that honestly cost them a lot, considering uh, we think of him as one of the best shooters in the league by far. This series, he shot about 33% from three. And if we take out the the very first game or maybe the second game, that number probably drops to like 25. Like he was shooting horribly considering of how good of a shooter he actually is. So that was a huge blow for them because he was putting up very low numbers. He missed like two threes in overtime, uh, wide open, mind you, not not as heavy contested as he's probably used to and he can hit. They were open jumpers that he w- wasn't hitting. So that was a huge factor and I think ruining their offensive flow, but all I know is that I really did not expect it to go this way. I had a lot of faith in this Brooklyn team, and they let me down. Uh, fair play to the Bucks, being able to pull it out uh, and working hard to overcome like some deficits in this series. So, you know, good on them. All right, so then let's go continue with the East. Tonight we just finished watching the Atlanta versus Philly Game 7. This is another series where I predicted wrong, and so did Adam. So this is two in a row we both got wrong here. Um, we both said Philly, and... We know that Atlanta took game one, but we were confident in Philly's abilities, and they made it down the stretch to a game seven. You know, personally, I think Philly's had like a, such a tough matchup, you know, considering you have Simmons with size, Harris, who can go under the radar, Embiid, Seth Curry was absolutely phenomenal this series. You have pieces there, but just for some reason, they couldn't go the distance, even with Trey Young shooting like a 23% field goal game today, game seven. The Hawks still came out on top. Adam, what's what's the reasoning here? Uh, I'm thinking, first of all, I thought the 76ers bench when watching this series was, was horrible. I didn't think they, ha- they had enough juice off the bench, just scoring, defending, uh, putting up positive minutes uh, when the starters are resting. And then I also think that the Embiid and Simmons, like I've said in years past, uh, that duo just doesn't work. It's just not a recipe to su- of success. I mean, Embiid with the injury issues and and the stamina issues, always getting tired. Uh, I mean, Simmons not being able to put him in in the late minutes of the game because he can't shoot a free throw, he can't shoot a three-pointer still. So there's still, like like Philadelphia says, trust the process. There is a lot of processing to be done here, uh, especially with, with those with those two guys. And like like I think it just really starts at the top. It starts at your start players. And then you, you, you look your way down and find more issues. Then you got Curry, who, who played phenomenal this series. I thought he played really well. And Harris was doing his part all series. So it's really those two guys that really just have to stay consistent and they can't get it done and once again fall short. Yeah, honestly disappointing. I thought Embiid, he did have a good series, although possibly playing through injury. Simmons, four games uh, out of the seven, he fell below 10 points. One of them coming close. Obviously, his assist numbers are high. He's doing his job playmaking, but I guess when you're putting up such little scoring numbers, um, it really makes it easy maybe for the defense to adjust and recognize, okay, 
He's going to play make. He's going to pass off this. We don't have to guard this jumper. We don't have to guard the pull-up. Possibly easier for them, and I guess that's what happened here. Um, yeah, honestly, I, I really thought Philly could pull this one out, you know, especially not having some bigger teams this season. You know, Philly, Milwaukee finally have this opportunity where they could have made it to the uh, Eastern Conference Finals, obviously having to deal with the Raptors or Cleveland over the years, Miami, uh, Boston, teams that have been playing good. This was an opportunity for both franchises to get a chance at something great. And Milwaukee took advantage. Philly did not. So now we get to watch the young Trey Young have some fun out there. And uh, hopefully he can shoot a little bit better this series uh, and make it an interesting competition. But what to do next is going to be interesting. Trying to guard uh, Giannis, Brooke Lopez, Middleton. The Atlanta defense is going to have to really play solid. Yeah, and I feel like this Atlanta Hawks team, I think, Gabe, you mentioned it earlier in a previous podcast, that they're such a well-balanced team. When you look at their starting lineup, every one of those guys can can score the ball pretty well and, and are good in their scoring areas. Whatever their sweet spot is, they can score really well in that area. Trey Young with the perimeter shooting, Herder, another perimeter shooting with some playmaking, Young as well. Uh, Bogdanovich can shoot the ball, can playmake. Collins, a good inside scorer, can rebound the ball, good inside presence for defense. Capella, catching Trey Young's alley-oops, uh, good interior defense against a hard guard and Joel Embiid. So there's so many, so many positives when you look at this Atlanta Hawks lineup. And then off the bench, you have the experience of Lou Williams, Danilo Gallinari. So they're a very well-balanced team. And you know what? I, I really think that maybe if they can bring it to maybe six or seven, I think they might have a chance at the Bucks. I mean, Trey Young, if, if he can get going, starts getting hot, anything could happen. I mean, yeah. Okay. Off to the West. Another one that I got wrong, Clippers versus Utah. I said Utah would come out of this one. I thought I would actually be correct considering that Kawhi Leonard was injured. So I thought, okay, Utah to take game six, game seven, and that's going to be all she wrote. And it was looking that way. Utah had a very hefty lead um, going into halftime. They played a pretty solid basketball. And then the third and fourth quarter, in the third quarter, we saw the Clippers outscore Utah 41 to 22. And in the fourth quarter, 40 to 25. So combined in the second half, the Clippers scored an extra 34 points on the Utah Jazz. Utah collapsed, and Paul George, along with Terrence Mann stepping it up, obviously they have other guys that played well, Reggie Jackson. Um, those three particularly helped lead this Clippers team without Kawhi Leonard to take down the number one seed in the West. Um, Donovan Mitchell had a fantastic performance, 39 points, but he lacked, I think, a lot more support than he's used to. You know, some of his teammates played well, but what an absolute collapse that was. Clippers just caught fire, uh, was making every bucket. Gobert wasn't doing a good job. Def- he wasn't being a presence. You know, Defensive Player of the Year, people weren't scared to do to go make floaters on him and attack the inside, and that they did. And honestly, I'm surprised. I really thought Utah was going to turn this one around. I honestly think that my predictions were all solid. I feel like they just let really let me down, you know, Brooklyn, Utah, and Philly. Yeah, and without knowing that Kawhi Leonard would get injured, uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't think the Clippers would make it through, but luckily they did. My prediction was right. Um, but yeah, I thought a lot of guys stepped up and, and filled uh, the scoring void that, that Kawhi Leonard has. And, uh, and they really stepped up Jackson with 27, man with 39, has a, has a, the game of his life. I mean, in the biggest game of his career so far, Paul George, another solid night, 28 points, Nick Batum, 16 points. So everyone really stepped up for the Clippers. And, and like you said, Gobert wasn't a presence on the inside. 
And and since he's he's such a, a good defender in the inside, he likes to gravitate toward the paint. And that and and sometimes they were leaving his man, which was Terrence Mann, uh, on the perimeter. And he was shooting a lot of three balls that were just connecting. And and they, I guess Utah's plan was, okay, Terrence Mann can't shoot, leave him open. So what ended up happening was Mann kept on making his threes, Gobert wouldn't step, and when he would step, Mann would beat him off the dribble and score a contested layup. So it was just a, a big issue for Utah. They didn't get it, get it sorted out. The communication was poor, which I thought would be better from an experienced veteran team like the Utah Jazz. But other than that, that's just a, a setback for the Utah Jazz, and and I think the choking name will will continue with this team, and people will still call them the Chokers because they just haven't been able to uh, to assert themselves here in the playoffs. With a young leader like Donovan Mitchell, though, you know you can't expect uh, these these in depth runs. Even Devin Booker, a lot of people doubting on the Suns and on Utah. Honestly, I'm hopeful for the future. You know, Donovan Mitchell has had two fantastic um, playoffs playing phenomenally in the, the bubble, and then this year trying to do fantastic things carrying his team. Uh, I think his cast really let him down in that game seven, they sh- uh, game six, sorry. They sh- should have closed that one out. I'm excited to see if they can still be a threat on the seasons to come. You know, we we saw them in the playoffs in, last year in the bubble, but I did not think they'd be a first seed this year. So honestly, let's see what is to come with that team. I'm hopeful for great potential in them. I think they're going to still be a solid playoff team in the next couple couple of years. So, you know what, let's just see what happens. Donovan Mitchell got a great future ahead of him, for sure. And that brings us to our last series, Phoenix versus Denver. This one, Adam, not much to say. The actual one that I got right, and you got right as well. That was your second one you got right. No going wrong here. We knew right away Phoenix was the all-around better team. Uh, I pictured it going this way. Phoenix very much just took their time and easily swept the Denver Nuggets. Um, the only thing that was a little bit close was Game Four was a little more uh, close, and we saw some action between Jokic, his brother, uh, you know, getting pissed off, getting the, the technical, uh, slapping the ball out of Booker's hands. Um, clearly, the temper got to him. You know, the MVP getting out so early not common in in uh, this day and age of basketball to see him get bounced second round. But I think we both saw the series going this way. Yeah, I think Aiden uh, did a great job on Jokic, even though he still got his numbers. Uh, he, he really held him, held him to uh, to just uh, sub average performances. I mean, and then and then when you're looking at the rest of the team, they're just once again there's not enough juice offensively. You got Porter who didn't have his best series, Rivers, Gordon, uh, guys who haven't really uh, established themselves in the playoffs in years past, so they're really not that experienced. Campazzo just coming into the league so they didn't have too much experience uh Denver outside of Jokic and the big loss is obviously Jamal Murray obviously last year in the bubble uh, having a big impact 50 point games and really was was their leader uh last year and then when you look at the Phoenix Suns just Chris Paul is is one of the best point guards I've ever seen uh he deserves all the praise as well as Devin Booker He's putting it together with the scoring, and he's being very consistent. I, I honestly was wrong about him. I didn't think that he would be this consistent in the playoffs, but uh, he really is putting ga- games together. And like like the Atlanta Hawks, the Suns have a really balanced team with Aiden, Crowder, Bridges. they got a lot of different pieces, and they got guys like Payne, Saric off the bench. So they're a very well-rounded team as well. Yep, I agree. Very solid team. That's the team I'm rooting for. I might be wrong about the rest of them, but I'm still rooting for them, even if I didn't predict them to win. Um, 
That pretty much covers that. I agree Jamal was a huge uh, setback for the Denver Nuggets. That's why the series went the way it went. And now Chris Paul, another player. Now, this playoffs has been riddled with injuries and uh, problems for teams. We've seen Kawhi being with, uh, away from the Clippers, you know, I think for most likely for majority of the series. They say out indefinitely, but yet they still report he's out game one, he's out game two. They yeah. kind of go game by game, but I think he'll be gone. And then meanwhile, you have Chris Paul, who tested COVID, uh, tested positive for COVID-19 when I believe he was fully vaccinated, which is crazy. Uh, the percentage of that is obviously slim, but he tested positive and now health and safety protocols. I think he's going to be out the entire series, which is huge for Phoenix, you know, considering how big of an impact he has been. Obviously, Phoenix had the hot run in the bubble, but D-Book was not doing it by himself for years and years and years. Chris Paul comes in and turns it around much like he did with OKC. So he was the factor, we all thought, in getting them this chip. So they're going to need him back. The question is, can Phoenix pull it out with no Kawhi and no CP3? The the, the playing field kind of gets still on the same level, more or less. Um, can Book do it? And in Game 1, we saw a fantastic performance. I think Devin Booker's first like triple-double ever, and it was in a playoff performance. Uh, 40 points, 13 boards, 11 assists. It was an incredible game. Um, I'm going to vote for Phoenix to win it because I want them to win it. So once again, I'll back them and see if they pull through. It's going to be a tough one without Chris Paul, but I think they can do it. I honestly think without Kawhi, I think the Clippers have a slim chance, but I'm still going to pick them because they were they were uh, the team I picked uh, at the start of the playoffs to win. Yeah, so I'm going to stick with, with the Clippers. I honestly think, yeah, with those two guys gone, Paul and Leonard, I think obviously the advantage goes to the Phoenix Suns, obviously having the, the depth that they have. Not that the Clippers don't have depth, but not as uh, good as bench players as the uh, as the Suns have. And yeah, I, I'm going to go Clippers here. What about Milwaukee, Atlanta, Adam? Who are you going for? Milwaukee, Atlanta. I'm going to have to go with the Bucks. I just I just think they have they have so much. They have Drew Holiday, which is going to play a big factor uh, in this series uh, on Trey Young. I really think he's going to limit him and uh, really lock him up. And then you also got Giannis on the inside with Capella and Collins battling down low. And Middleton, they got just so much pieces. And then the three-point shooting comes into into play with the Milwaukee Bucks. So I think they're just going to be too much to handle for the Hawks. But I do see this going six or seven games. I don't I don't see the Hawks folding or, or getting blown out here. Yeah, Hawks have shown great character. Trey Young's put on phenomenal performances. It will definitely, I think, go some type of distance. Um, it's going to be tough because, you know, Atlanta is a very talented team in each position. We said their scoring ability and, like, the way they play, it can be tough. Milwaukee's had have has had trouble defending the three ball uh, in the past, so it can be tough with Atlanta's play. But I do think, you know, having Drew Holiday to take on Trey Young, let's say, um, to have other guys like Middleton, who's kind of long and to get maybe Bogdanovich, and then you also have Giannis and Brook Lopez. I think they have enough pieces that can do good work defensively that it's going to be a problem for Atlanta. And then um, Milwaukee's offense, I think, will also help. You've got Brook Lopez stretching the floor, I think, could be a huge factor, considering to find out where Clint Capella stays, if you're trying to stay in the paint or whatnot. If they're, I don't know, maybe they're going to go for some switch of some sort. I don't know, but I think that Milwaukee will come out on top. And I'm kind of feeling like this could be their year to make the finals, now that I look at it a little bit closer um very similar vibe to i guess the raptors kind of getting lucky with some injuries and stuff i think maybe this just might be milwaukee's year and uh give credit to them but obviously injuries have been a big factor yet they've been one of the teams that haven't been affected that much so maybe this is their chance to sneak in 
All right, guys, so now we have another segment here. We just finished watching the NBA draft lottery. And for fans that maybe don't watch too closely, what basically happens is that um, the order of the draft is revealed. And this year they had a different way of doing things. What they wanted was that they put a bunch of different um, numbered balls from 1 to 14 inside this uh, machine. And they started picking out, there's a 1,001 combinations. And they picked out four balls. And whatever number those combination came out to, it was assigned to a team. And that team, obviously, there's a certain number of combinations per team based off of the percentages of getting first and whatnot. And that only happens for the first four uh, picks in the draft. After that, all the other picks are kind of ordered based off of your standings. So when they started announcing the teams, they started 14 and they worked their way up to five. And it was going, for the most part, in order of the standings inversely. Because that's how it was supposed to happen. Because the odds of getting that top four is obviously very slim unless you're near the bottom. So it was going one by one. Uh, Golden State has someone's pick. Then it was the Pacers and the Spurs, uh, the Hornets, then the Pelicans. So by that point, everything was normal. After that, it was given to the Sacramento Kings, who were tied with the Bulls. And then next, it was the Bulls who were selected. So Orlando Magic got that pick. Everything was still in their proper order. So no one moved to the top four picks. Then it was seven. This is where the Raptors were projected to be. So if the person flipped it over and it was the Raptors, we'd be getting seventh. But if he didn't flip Raptors, that means the Raptors would have stolen a top four pick. He flips it. And lo and behold, we see the Golden State Warriors who own Minnesota Timberwolves pick. And Minnesota was the team below us. So we actually managed to jump a spot, dropping Minnesota down. So right away, me and Adam went uh, absolutely crazy, knowing that we landed a top four pick, being able to jump up from seven to top four. That's already good enough for me. And then after that, we were waiting to see what would come next. Then Oklahoma City Thunder was picked, which means Cleveland also jumped up. And then Orlando Magic was picked, who was supposed to be around that area. So what that means was that Houston, Detroit... Uh, Cleveland and the Raptors were all a part of the top four picks, but we didn't know the order. We waited for a commercial break, and then we found the proper order, and it was actually in that that sequence I just read out. Detroit in first, Houston in second, Cleveland in third, Raptors in fourth. So right away, uh, fantastic that we were able to get top four. I know me and Adam are really hoping for top two, especially the second pick, to get uh, Mobley, but I'm still very happy with this. Uh, what about you, Adam? Yep, um, it's it's amazing that we can get we can get a, a top four player uh, coming out of college, and uh, yeah, it, it's it's totally great. J- just kind of diving into what are, is projected uh, after the draft lottery. So the Pistons are projected to draft Kate Cunningham, obviously uh, preferred by most as the best talent in the draft. Then moving on to the Houston Rockets, they want to match uh, uh, Christian Wood uh, with another good big man in Evan Mobley. Um, which I think is is one of the, the one of the things that I think the Raptors should look at. Masai should really take a deep dive in in making a trade up for Evan Mobley since that we're struggling on, on the bigs and uh, and we're really weak in that area. I think Evan Mobley would be the the best fit in the draft. Then we look at third Cleveland Cavaliers. They have obviously Sexton and Garland as their as their good guards on the team, and then Jalen Green. Uh, is their projection. So maybe he can play small forward uh, in that lineup. And then the Raptors here are projected Jalen Suggs. Um, I'm a bit iffy on this one. I'm not going to lie. Uh, he did play all right in the in the tournament. Obviously, he hit that big buzzer beater uh, to win the game. Uh, but I don't know about his offensive consistency 
and his defensive game. I haven't seen too much of him defensively. I know he has quick hands and he can steal the ball, but I haven't seen him uh, do too much defensively. But offensively, uh, he's apparently really good, uh, can move the ball well, good, uh, good playmaking skills. Uh, obviously was coached by a great coach in Gonzaga. Uh, so I thought, I thought Jalen Suggs, uh, would be, would be a, a decent fit, but I don't think he's the right one for the Toronto Raptors game. What do you think about Suggs uh, being projected for the Raptors? Yeah. So I think Suggs and Green are the most interchangeable here on who's going to go three, who's going to go four. Uh, ESPN offered the, the flip view of, of what you're stating. And there's some that are saying that like you, Suggs to go fourth. I personally would think that Green would be better for us. He's a little bit taller, got more size, uh, looks like to be a little bit longer wingspan. I think maybe you can move him two, three. So that's what I'm feeling. Suggs, I think, is, you know, he's a very small player. And I watched uh, quite a bit of the March Madness, the tournament, but I don't necessarily think that he's uh, too spectacular. Obviously, he's talented to be projected in that top category. I just didn't see him as uh, fantastic as everyone was making him out to be. Yeah. Obviously, it's going to depend when we see the the draft workouts and we kind of mm-hmm. dive deeper. Because right now, you know, this is just very basic uh, prelim discussions. We're obviously going to put out some more episodes in the future, getting more into it of who to select and what the Raptors should do. I personally think a trade-up would be great to go for Mobley. Um, but we're going to see, I guess, what Masai does. So right now, I'm hesitant on Suggs. Yeah, and uh, having Jalen Green uh, already kind of having some experience in the G League, I think is already uh, another benefit uh, to the Jalen Green side over Jalen Suggs. And then another benefit of Jalen Green over Suggs, I think, is the Toronto Raptors lineup. When you look at it, if Lowry is staying and Van Vliet is staying, obviously we got we got two guards that are very small. I know height doesn't mean much, but uh, but we're going really small if we go Suggs. That's that's three players. I don't know if we want to move him to the bench. That would be three players like six one, six feet. And that's very difficult to win the NBA with that type of lineup, and I don't think it's ever been ran before. Uh, so I think if we can somehow pick up Jalen Green or Mobley and trade up into one of these, maybe the two or three positions, I think that's the most uh, most ideal situation. I agree. I don't want to expand the talks to too many scenarios, but I guess Kyle Lowry's free agency is also going to play a huge factor in what happens in that draft because it might have to. We might be looking for more guards. Who knows? I'm just going to leave it at that. All right, that's pretty much it. We hope you all enjoyed. Please like and subscribe. Check us out on Instagram at Rapsville for NBA News, Raptors content. Please DM us on there if you want to be a part of some of these episodes. We still are doing guests and asking them questions, Raptors Q&A, that type of stuff. Yeah, we hope you enjoyed. That's us signing out. Peace. Peace. You know, people don't really understand how obsessed I am with winning. It's not I don't care about anything else.